Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we lift up uh, Pastor Brian as he comes and shares your word with us this morning. We pray that he would have clarity in his mind as he, uh, as he preaches your word this morning, that you would give him uh, just the words that he needs to say today to us. Uh, we have much to be thankful for from the verse that, that we just read, you've delivered us from the domain of darkness. And uh, we ask that if, as you, as you uh, declare your word through Pastor Brian to us this morning, that we would be um, struck by um, the grace that you've given us through Jesus, and we'd be motivated to live lives um, that, are, that are in accordance with, with the gospel. We pray now for your spirit to be active in the service this morning, and um, that you'd be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg, reading our text for us this morning, continuing in our study here in Colossians. Before we do, I just want to say that even though I may not be wearing the shirt, my wife still rocks. Uh, someone asked me if she does. Yeah, the shirt doesn't make her rock. She rocks, and therefore the shirt exists. All right, so I just wore it last week so you would all know what I already knew. All right, and so... Glad all of us are healthy and she's with us this morning. Um, did want to make mention, I got a note from Ruth Tipstra from the Pregnancy Resource Center. She had a total for our baby bottle drive. So, so far, come in from our church, $717. So, thank you all very much for that. Great, uh, great turnout in giving. Thank you for your willingness to sacrificially give uh, for that, that uh, ministry to continue uh, to reach hearts and lives. I want you to continue to, in light of that, I want you to continue to pray for um, the men's ministry that's going on there that Mario is helping to uh, work through and head up. So be prayer for them as they seek to meet with the men that come in with the women and seek to challenge them from God's word to both embrace Jesus and his gospel and then to live that gospel out in love towards uh, the women and the soon-to-be children that they will be influencing. So please be in prayer for that. We're going to take a minute. Uh, we're going to take time in a minute here to be praying for that as well. Um, but today we're going to continue on our calling from Colossians to live in thankfulness to God. What He has done for us. And just as a reminder... That thankfulness really is an expression of our satisfaction in what God has brought into our life, what God has done in our lives. And we just looked at over the last two weeks this, the, the fruit of the gospel, specifically in, in the, uh, the fruit of love being expressed, and then uh, uh, just last week in spiritual life that has been given to us. This is Stuff that we did not have access to prior to the, the, the salvation that comes to us in Jesus Christ. This is stuff that we were meant to do. We were created to do. It was our purpose to live out this kind of love and this kind of spiritual life. Yet apart 
from the work of Jesus Christ and apart from the Holy Spirit residing in us and apart from the love of the Father that sent the Son and the, the Father the Son that sent the Spirit, apart from that, we would not have any of this. And so even in light of how difficult life might be at the moment, how much struggle might exist, and we're going to be looking today at this intense struggle between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of the sun, as that exists, as, as your fight against sin exists, as your fight to be healthy even though your body is deteriorating and wasting away, uh, the, 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 the fight to uh, wake up tomorrow morning and have to do the same thing you do every Monday morning, uh, despite all of that, you have a life that is completely different from what you had before. And in that, we are meant to live with a satisfaction in what God has granted to us. This new life. Don't, don't miss the humongous blessing of the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. So before we get into our text, let's pray. Father, we, we so thank you for the opportunity this morning to look again at this new life granted to us and how it comes to be. Uh, we thank you that you moved Paul to write this letter to the church at Colossae and that in turn we might benefit from it. I pray that our hearts would be filled with a joyful reliance and rest on you, a s- satisfaction in all that you are and all that you are doing specifically in and through us. Lord, we thank you for the generosity of your church giving towards the PRC. We pray that you continue to use that place to save lives uh, but and also to reach lives with the gospel. To save lives temporarily but then, then confront them with the truth that allows their, them to be saved eternally. And we pray for Mario and his leadership there with the men, that you would just give grace and wisdom to him as they plan, and then opportunity. Lord, give, give them opportunity ha- that men would want to be involved in this kind of a, a study and a mentorship and, and a care from, a, from another man. Maybe some of these men have never had that in their life, and Lord, so, so uh, uh, allow them this opportunity and use it to see souls saved. Use it to see then lives changed. Use it to see our community then change through these lives. Lord, uh, we thank you for um, the, the churches in our area that seek to, seek to reach uh, these, these lost people here in our area with the gospel. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for them. We pray that you continue to give them strength, whether it's Mission Church and, and Manuka or Grace. Um, out there that way, um, whether it, it be Iglesia Camino Cielo, just north of us, or just continue to uh, show your grace to them and empower them to further your kingdom. And this morning, as they open your word, may you bless their time. Or may they rejoice in your goodness and hear your word and seek to live in a way that would please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, our... Uh, main point is this, you are to live in thankfulness to God because he delivered and transferred you. He delivered and transferred you. And we're going to look at those two terms this morning as we look into this one, this one verse. He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And, and, and this little verse is just loaded with implications here on what's going on. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever been in a really dark place, like a, like a cave? Ken's nodding his head. He knows exactly where I'm going with this, right? He loves what's Mammoth Cave, right? Is that what it's called, right? I've been to Mammoth Cave, went with my family, and they take you down to the cave, and there's one point where they take you all the way down there, and they shut off all the lights. Yeah, so if you're claustrophobic or whatever, I mean, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. You can't, cannot t- tell where you are at all. Um, and uh, imagine, imagine if in that moment, like, the tour guide had somehow told everybody to grab onto a rope, but you missed that instruction, and they grabbed onto a rope and began to move on in through the darkness. The tour guide knew where he's going, and you're left there. No light, nothing. That would be pretty freaky, right? You're like, hello? Hello? <laughs> All right, this is the worst game of hide-and-seek ever. Where is everybody? I mean... This kind of darkness where you can't see anything, where you don't know where anything is. And imagine trying to then get out of that after walking for like an hour in the cave to get to this place where they shut the lights off on you. You're like, okay, i got to try to figure this out. All right. Okay, there's a wall. I have no idea which wall it is. I knew there was like two or three walls in this cavern when I came in. And there's three tunnels going this way. I don't know which one to go. I mean, darkness has this idea of being somewhat lost. Um, in fact, uh, in fact, if, if we were to consider like darkness before the time of our, uh, modern day lighting, most people thought of darkness as bedtime, right? It's time to go to bed, time to do nothing else. Like this is what we do when it gets dark. We're done. <laughs> Unless there's a full moon, in which a case it's not as dark as it could be because there's light. We, it's bedtime. It's time to go to bed. And yet, um, today, with all our modern conveniences and everything, sometimes it's even hard for us to have darkness. Whether it's a nightlight or your phone is shining next to your bed or whatever, you know, darkness, we don't want it around. Um, you know, when you get up in the middle of the night and it's actually dark, what normally happens? Well, normally there's a toy on the floor that you did not expect. <laughs> or there's a piece of furniture that you know wasn't there before, even though that's where it always is. But because of the darkness, you don't see it, Right? I mean, darkness has all these af- effects on us, and so it's no wonder that when, when the writers of the New Testament, even the Old Testament, consider the idea of sin and slavery and tragedy, they think of darkness. That's where Paul goes here. This domain of darkness, and when we read that, the domain of darkness. I don't know if I say it with my Batman voice. Sounds awful, right? It sounds scary, huh? And it's meant to. Like, this is meant to be like, oh, that's not really good. That's not a good place. It's the domain of darkness, being lost in the darkness, not good. Having to try to navigate through your house in the darkness, often not good. The domain of darkness, therefore, we are meant to understand, is not good. And the fact and the fact that it can describe us as being delivered from that domain of darkness is very good. Very good. And so we're going to look at this idea of being delivered from the domain of darkness. But not just that. Paul's like, that's not enough. 
to just be delivered from the domain of darkness that sounds so bad, and you need deliverance from, we're going to look at why, but also to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's a lot of ways that Paul could have written that, and the kingdom's been described in a lot of different ways. But when we read dominion of darkness, we like to hear that kind of, you know? But when we read the kingdom of his beloved son, what do we, what do we feel? Man, there's something, there's something special there. There's something to cherish there. There's something, his beloved son, that we get to be a part of that? I mean, there's an attraction to that. So someone who's beloved by us and being able to be, spend time with someone who's beloved by us. So maybe you think of uh, your spouse or your kids and they're, they're beloved by you and you get to spend some time with them and have time to share with them. This idea of being transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son means we get to spend time with them. Or maybe, maybe you don't have someone like that that you feel that beloved to, but you have like a, a figure that you look to, like, you know, a basketball player. I don't know why, but uh, that you love. You just think they're greater an actor and actress. And it's like, to be able to spend time with them? Wow, that would be amazing. All right? This is, this is what's being said here. We're going from the most evil place to transfer to the kingdom of the beloved son. Wow, to get to, to, get to be a part of that and spend time with him. I mean, this is, this is something that's meant to be attractive. That which is evil is being, is being replaced by that which is amazing. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. So the first question I have is this. What is the domain of darkness? The domain of darkness. Now, domain is an interesting word. I mean, it, it has this similar idea to that of kingdom, where it has this powerful authority upon which it's being placed on all who are underneath it. It's the domain where, where, where people are under and influenced by it and subjugated to it. Um, one one uh, commentator described the domain of darkness as the cyclical nature of sin, slavery, and tragedy, or sin, slavery, and death. And that it's, it's underneath the powerful authority of sin that we live in darkness. And in fact, that's what we read in Scripture. 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What is he talking about? Walking in darkness. It's the sin in which we live. It's living in sin. Or in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. And this is the judgment that has come to the world. Light has come to the world and people loved, what? The darkness rather than the light. Because why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked thing hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. So this idea of darkness in Scripture has to do with the powerful authority of sin and our living under it, our walking in it, the works of evil that we do. We are ruled by sin. We live under sin's domain. Unless we think it's somebody else. Because obviously other people sin. They sin against us all the time. They're such sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It includes us. 
We all start in the domain of darkness under the powerful authority of sin. But not only that, under the powerful authority of Satan as well. Darkness is connected to satanic forces and Satan's rule in the world. And here we see that that the sin under which we live enslaves us under the rule of Satan. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we're like, that makes sense then, because when I hear domain of darkness, I think spiritual evil, evil forces that exist that are fighting against us. But in, that's Ephesians 6, but in Ephesians 2, notice what he writes, that, that, that you are a part of this, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That you, you were a part of this domain of darkness. Under, under the powerful authority of Satan. The way in which you walked, following the prince of the power of the air. So these cosmic spiritual forces of evil exist, are real. They're these fallen angels. And, and we may, in our kind of Western world and in, in our U.S. theology, might not think much of these cosmic forces and of these satanic powers. And yet they exist. And everyone who lives in the dominion of darkness is described as following the prince of the power of the air. They are followers of Satan. Everyone who exists in the dominion of darkness, followers of Satan. In fact, there's this, there's this kind, of a, 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 um, kind of a trend that's been going on for a little while among Christianity to often talk about us as orphans who've been adopted by God. Now, it's true. We've been adopted by God. That's clear in Scripture. But we weren't orphans. We were children of wrath, Ephesians 2 says. We were followers of Satan. We lived in his family. We were a part of his family. And we needed to be delivered from his family. We're not orphans neutrally hanging out on the street. We were in a family of evil. And we participated in that family of evil. So much so that as children of wrath, or as sons, here it says, sons of disobedience, we rightly deserve to be condemned as part of that family. We we are rightly judged as part of the domain of darkness, living under the powerful authority of sin and the powerful authority of Satan, which leads us to the powerful authority of eternal judgment. The cyclical nature of this domain of darkness is sin and then slavery and then tragedy recurring over and over again in our life, which ultimately leads to the ultimate tragedy, eternal death. An eternity in hell. Darkness is described as separation from God. In fact, in Matthew 25, 30, Matthew 25, 30, Matthew writes here, and, and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing 
separation from God. It's this domain of darkness. In fact, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When God said they would surely die when they disobeyed God, when they ate of the fruit he said not to eat. And while they did not die physically yet, they died spiritually. And they faced this spiritual death of darkness, of separation from God. What does God do? God not only curses them, but then he casts them out of his presence, out of the Garden of Eden. And that the, the ultimately, ultimate reality or the ultimate finality of, of mankind being cast out of the Garden of Eden is the ultimate, the ultimate judgment of God in casting sinful mankind into the depths of hell. Separation from God forever. This is what we call eternal death. The eternal darkness separation from our God who is light who is love this is what the domain of darkness is that we are delivered from but what is secondly what is the kingdom of his beloved son kingdom of his beloved son just like domain is meant to convey this powerful authority that exists so kingdom is meant to convey this powerful authority that exists as well and when we look to the beloved son what do we see we see that he is the divine son his kingdom is meant to convey the glory of god god who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What? In the face of Jesus Christ. So up and against the dominion of darkness, here shines the kingdom of the beloved Son, the kingdom of light over and above the darkness. Not only is a powerful authority of the divine Son who has every right to reveal himself as God himself, who is the, the exact imprint of his glory, but he's also the, the, this is also the powerful authority of the human Messiah. And as we walked through um, Hebrews uh, last year during Christmas, we saw how, how God had placed authority into the hands of mankind over his creation, and yet mankind failed in living out God's authority. So in Adam and subsequently in each one of us, we have failed in living out God's authority and his kingdom over this world. And yet God sends to us the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who fulfills all and lives out as God's king over his kingdom. This is the glory of humanity, really. The glory of humanity is not in that humanity itself was able to do anything, but that God provides a man who would stand in the gap because when he looked and saw, he, he looked all over the earth, he saw no man who could fulfill, who could fulfill, fulfill the commandments he had given, who could fulfill the responsibility he had given, who could fulfill perfectly the authority over all God's creation. And so he provides to us Jesus Christ. The Son of God who becomes man, truly God, truly man. And we looked at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see him who was made a little lower than the angels. 
namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He has come crowned with God's glory, crowned with God's honor to bring in and usher forth God's kingdom. And it's not completely here yet. Jesus has come. He has come as king, a suffering king, to save his people, to die in their place, to conquer our greatest enemy. We think of the dominion of darkness. Sometimes we can think of Satan as our greatest enemy. It's true, he is a great enemy. Sometimes we can think of our sin as our greatest enemy. And it's true, sin is our greatest enemy. But what we read is our greatest enemy is death. The result of following Satan, the result of living out our sin, is eternal separation and death from God. And Jesus conquers it. So I ask, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Jesus conquers death. He gives the death blow to our greatest enemy and offers life to all who would believe in him. And that life is meant to be lived now through the spiritual life that we looked at last week. But then the reality of its fullness is going to come when Jesus returns. That Jesus' kingdom is already here and yet not yet full in its reality. It is still yet to come. Right now we still wrestle against the dominion of darkness. We live, we live in the neighborhood of the dominion of darkness. That's why we're told as, as those in the kingdom of the love of son. I haven't really talked about how we get there yet. We're going to get there. So, but just follow with me here for a minute. We think about being in the kingdom of the son, and yet, yet the world is filled with this domain of darkness. What are we told? We're told to live in the world, but not be of the world. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. We are laying up treasures there. Our hope is there, not here. We're not building for ourselves houses on the sand of the dominion of darkness, but we're building ourselves a house on the rock that is Jesus Christ. That's where all our hope is. We are ambassadors. We are pilgrims. We are traveling to a world that is yet to come, that's been promised to us. It's all like we're on a big road trip, all right? And we're all crammed into one van. I'm looking forward to March 19th when I'm taking 11 teenagers down to Louisville. We're all going to be crammed in one van, and we're not there until we're there. You can ask as many times as you want, but we're not there until we're there, right? And sometimes being in that van can be difficult. I mean, that's the, that's the spiritual life right now. In the world, but not of the world. We're in the van. We're still going to our destination. And we got to put up with each other sometimes. Sometimes we're just loving on each other, and other times we're just, we're just trying to get by. Right? <laughs> and, and we're in the van, and we're all, we're all going towards that destination. But the kingdom of God is here. It's already, but it's also yet to come. And we're moving towards that day. What glorious kingdom this is ruled by the divine Son and the human Messiah. What do we know about Jesus? 
really think about it. What do we know about Jesus? This is how we know love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. That's the kind of king that rules his kingdom. That's an amazing king. He is the beloved of the Father. And yet we read that God loved the world that he gave his only son. We read that if he did not spare his own son, will he not give us all things? What can separate us from the love of God? The love of God that was willing to give his son for us. This is a beloved son who rules this kingdom in love. So how is one delivered then? How is one transferred? Well, we see examples in Scripture. And uh, many people see these verses as, as connecting to at least, at least one of these examples, but maybe, maybe all of them. The first one would be the Exodus. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we can read, Say therefore to the people of Israel, so God is speaking to Moses, telling him to go talk to Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession for I am the Lord. Definitely we can could, we could obviously see some links here between the Exodus where the children of Israel are, are slaves in Egypt, being mistreated by the Egyptians there. And yet God's promise to bring them out. And what do we know? We, you read through the rest of the book of Exodus and God brings them out. He sends the plagues. He brings them out. He delivers his people. Not only... Not only does he just deliver them from their slavery, but the Egyptians so want the Israelites out that they're giving them their stuff, saying, what do you need to leave? Here, take this, take this, take this. Giving them their stuff. The, the Israelites leave wealthy when they leave Egypt. But their hands was not, were not able to deliver themselves. This is part of the idea of the dominion of darkness. Deliverance is impossible. You wander around those caves forever trying to find your way out. But God comes in and delivers his people from their slavery. We see this in Exodus. We also see this in the return from their exile. So uh, God brings his people into the promised land. They live there for a while. They establish their kingdom. Um, you have kings like David and, and uh, Solomon and other kings, Hezekiah, that are good, fairly good kings. And then you have evil kings that seek to worship other gods, that turn away from God, that turn the people away from God. And so God then exiles them. He, he removes them from their promised land. Yet, in the book of Isaiah, we read God's promise to return them. And so the return from exile is, again, an illustration or an example of God's deliverance and transferring them back to the promised land. And so in Isaiah 42, 7, 
Uh, it says, to open the eyes of those that are blind and to bring out the prisoner from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. You can see, begin to see the, the, the connection here with the domain of darkness and, and the people of Israel living in exile as, as described here as being in the prison of darkness. He goes on to say in 42, um, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Or in Isaiah 49, 9, it says, Say to the prisoner, come out to those who are in darkness, appear, and they shall feed along the way, and all bare heights shall be their pastor, pastures. Here, here again, God is delivering his people from the darkness that they're in, in exile, and bringing them into the light of the, of the promised land. The other one I thought was very interesting, the other connection that people made was a connection with Paul's own conversion. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is declaring his conversion story. Um, and uh, there he writes, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And in these we see a pattern. We see patterns. We see God sees the plight of his people and promises their rescue. Prior to even Paul being converted, what was Jesus' mission? He was sent to be a light, a light of men, so that they might turn from their darkness to light, as we read in John chapter 1. He sees the plight of mankind, that they are in darkness and promises a rescue. He sees it, he sees it in the example of, of the Exodus. He hears their people's cries, and what does he do? He responds. He responds by calling Moses and then Aaron to go and to deliver the people through his power. In exile, what does he hear? What does he see? He sees his people as prisoners in a land that he had not promised them, in a land of judgment. And yet, what does he promise? He promises rescue for them. In turn, what other pattern do we see? That God rescues them from the authority of an oppressor. God rescues them from the authority of an oppressor. So God rescues them from Egypt. God rescues them from captivity. And then God rescues Paul from his own Jewish, Jewish religion that rejected Jesus Christ. This false Jewish religion that he had embraced. God rescues them. But not only that, God takes him under his authority as his people. He we read that we hear that in Exodus six. I will be your God, and you will be my people. 
in exile. They're they're prisoners, and he has drawn them out. Why? So that they might return to be his people and to worship him. What does is, what is Paul say from, obviously, this Jewish false religion, and yet, what is it for? So that he might be his witness, so that he might be his testimony, that as I deliver you from, so then I'm sending you to deliver others from it, which leads us to the fourth part of the pattern, is God commissions them to serve him. It's interesting, after calling them out of, out of Egypt, what does he do? He commissions them to serve him as his people. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He lays out his law so they might live as his people and be a light then to all the other nations. It's something we often miss when we're reading through the Old Testament, that God called out this nation to be a light unto all the other nations. In turn, those returning from exile are returning to do that same very thing, for him to be their God and for they to be his people and they to show his light to the nations. What is Paul called to do as he sees the light of Jesus Christ? He becomes a servant of Jesus. And in turn, that servant, what does he do? He sheds that light to all who will hear. This is the, this is the pattern of God delivering and transferring. And he takes them out from the authority of the possessor and places them under his authority and again in in case you would struggle or wrestle with that whose authority the beloved son the son who teaches us what love is the son who gives himself for us under this authority now some have asked sequential or concurrent you're like those big words we don't need those all right there's a debate, so I thought we could talk about that for just a little bit. I think it's important. And the, debate, the debate itself is not necessarily important to me. So what they're asking here is, does deliverance and transference, does it happen sub- sequentially? Does it happen one after the other, or does it happen at the same time? So are we delivered by being transferred? Are we delivered and then transferred? Trying to figure that out is not necessarily important to me. What's important to me and why I bring it up is the reason why people think it's concurrent is because they're reacting to the idea that somehow people could be neutral. That somehow, and, and, and the sequential argument is not saying that people can be neutral. Um, they're saying that deliverance happens and then transference happens. You're delivered from the kingdom of darkness and then you're transferred into the kingdom of the sun. Concurrence is trying to say, well, that happens simultaneously. You're delivered by being transferred because they don't want any opportunity for someone to say, I've been delivered, but I haven't been transferred yet. Because that world doesn't exist. And that's why I bring it up. You can't be neutral. You can't be delivered from the dominion of darkness. And now sin and Satan and, and eternal death has no say over you any longer and yet not have been transferred to the kingdom of the Son. Some people want want to to live within that area. They want to be saved, but they don't want God's authority over their life. They they, they, They don't want to be in the domain of darkness. They know that's evil. We don't want that. But they don't want Jesus telling them what to do. They don't want Jesus as their king. But that does not exist. 
when we are delivered from one kingdom, we are, whether it's right after it or whether it's at the same time or wherever you want to put it, we, we go to another kingdom. We, we become, we become from, 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 from slaves, we become slaves to, to his possession, his people. As 1 Peter 2.9 describes us, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may proclaim, we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Whether that, that happened sequentially or concurrently, ultimately, in my mind, it doesn't matter as long as you understand that you either live in darkness or you're in marvelous light. Those are the only two options. Now, you may say, well, aren't there some people who, who really seem to be Christians, who seem to be living in the kingdom, who seem to be obedient to God and, and trying to do what he says and everything, and yet in the end reject God? Yes, there are those people. The Bible would never say they were a part of the kingdom of the beloved son. The Bible would always say they lived in the domain of darkness, pretending, professing something that wasn't true. That's why Jesus, when he confronts these people, he says, you are workers of iniquity. Now, what works were they describing? We did things in your name. We, we healed people. We, we, uh, we cared for the poor. We did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, you workers of iniquity, depart from me. I do not know you. Why? Because what they profess wasn't true. They were part of the domain of darkness. There's only two positions. There's only two kingdoms. There's only two places to reside. It's either in the domain of darkness or the kingdom of the beloved son. Those are the only two places. And that's why I would say God did not rescue us merely by removing us from oppressive authority. That's why Paul doesn't end with, and he delivered us from the dominion of darkness, period. God did not merely remove us from oppressive authority, but he crushed that oppressive authority with a much more powerful authority. He broke our chains and set us free to live within his kingdom, to live within the purpose he had made us. He leads us out of our prison and he continues to lead us for the rest of our lives. He's the shepherd who went and found his sheep and brought him back. Where? To his sheepfold, to reside with him. He, he deals with the oppressive authority with his more powerful authority. And, and in, in this sense, while there's only two kingdoms to reside in, they are not equal. They're equal in the fact that they're both kingdoms that exist, and you can only reside in one or the other. But the kingdom of the beloved son is much more, infinitely more powerful than the kingdom of of the domain of darkness because because you only get transferred one way no one goes from the kingdom of the beloved son to the kingdom of the domain of darkness 
Everyone goes from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Anyone who's transferred is transferred from that kingdom to this kingdom. Why? Because this kingdom crushes the authority of that kingdom. This kingdom defeats that kingdom. The kingdom of the beloved son is the one who holds the ultimate power. Therefore, we should be amazed. We should be amazed by the fact that if you're currently living in the kingdom of the beloved son, you should be amazed at the power that God wielded so that you might be in his kingdom. The crushing of sin and of Satan and of eternal death so that you might reside in his kingdom. This is what Jesus bore for you on the cross broke the chains to set the prisoners free. That's what Jesus has done for us. So now, now we'll go to number four. Why does God deliver from and transfer to? Or why does God deliver and transfer? First of all, the character of God. It's the character of God that drives him to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. And I just want to point out three. We could point out many. The first would be that he's merciful. And, and I, go to, I go to each of the texts. So I'm going to go to uh, Exodus. Our example was, was the Exodus. And so what, is the, what, what does the text around the Exodus say about God? And then the second one, I'm going to look at uh, the exile and what texts around that say about the character of God. And then I'm going to look in Acts and what it says there, uh, specifically uh, referring to Paul. So in Exodus 33, 19, we read, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, pass before Moses, who brought him out of Egypt. And now he's going to demonstrate who he is because Moses is asked to see his glory. And and so my goodness will pass before you and you will, and you before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. There's the name of God, the glory of God that these that He's going to portray to Moses after bringing them out of the exile. What is He going to show? Him? My name, the Lord, and this is part of His name. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. This is the, the merciful graciousness of God. Like you want to know me? Here's me. I'm merciful to whoever I choose to be merciful to. Why does God deliver? Why does God transfer? Because he's a God of mercy who shows mercy to whom he chooses. Not only that, when we look at Isaiah 49, 13, again, Isaiah writing about the exile, return from the exile. Here's what we read. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. And here we see not only is God merciful, but he's compassionate. So that he pours out his comfort on his people. Why does he deliver? Why does he transfer? Because he wants to demonstrate his mercy to his people, but also to demonstrate his compassion to his people. His people who have been afflicted under the oppression of of the domain of darkness. And now he, through his compassion, delivers them. Motivated by his mercy, motivated by his compassion. And then we read in Acts 9, 15, as as, as, um, Jesus calls... What's his name? I can't think of his name. Oh, I want to say uh, it starts with an A. <laughs> How's that? 
Oh, good. Good. We'll just turn there. Uh, Ananias. So he calls Ananias to go find Saul and clear his eyes from this blindness that he had when he saw Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus. And when he sends him, here's what he says. But the Lord said to him. Now, because Ananias is like, God, do you know who Paul is? <laughs> That's a stupid question to ask God. Uh, <laughs> He's a guy who's been persecuting uh, everybody, right? Like, you're sending me to him, huh? Okay, all right. Like Ananias in the back of his head, I might be dying on this trip. So, but what, here's, what, here's what God says to affirm Ananias. This is, this is his duty to live out for God. He's, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And really, this, this kind of is influenced by both the other ones as well, in that this shows the sovereignty of God in his delivering and transferring. It's, this, it's God's sovereignty. It's his prerogative. God will show mercy on whom he will have mercy. He's, he's, he's motivated by his mercy to deliver and transfer, but he will choose. He will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. Confirm that this is my chosen instrument. You may not see it, Ananias. You may not understand it, but this is Paul is my chosen instrument, and that's why I have delivered him and transferred him. That I will, I will show comfort to who? To my people. I will have compassion on the people of mine that are being afflicted. Who, who are they? They're, they're God's chosen. Like even in his compassion, even in his mercy, it still shows that he is sovereign over what he does. It is his character that drives him to deliver, that drives him to transfer us. And glory be to God that his character would drive him to do such things. For without it, we would be eternally lost and damned. But also we see the need of willfully enslaved humanity. I say it that way because, you know, sometimes we want to, we want to claim our slavery to sin and not realize that there's a willfulness to it. That we pursue what we desire. Our desires are so bent towards sin that we willfully run after them and enslave ourselves to it. And in turn, and in turn, what, what, what about Satan? <laughs> he gets me what I want. I'll follow him. Now, do I think we always think that clearly? No, not at all. But we follow after Satan's ways. We're children of wrath, sons of disobedience. That's who we were. We followed the prince of the power of the air. We followed his ways. Just like Adam and Eve, we believed his lies. We ate of the fruit. We live in sin. The reason we sin is we follow after him. The reason we sin is because we have these desires in us that we want to such a degree, to such a degree that even though we don't necessarily process it, we are willing to face Eternal judgment, if necessary. Get what we want. It's willful. It's also enslaving. We are enslaved to our desires. Our sinful desires. It's willful. It's purposeful. It's in control. It's high-handed. It's voluntary. It's slavery because it's oppressive. It's out of control. It's addictive. It's automatic. Both of these go together in describing our state under the domain of darkness and if you ignore the fact that it's slavery what you begin to do is think that you just need to work harder 
you ignore the fact that it's out of your control. You begin to think that you only need to just do a little more, give a little more to God. And if I just do this, and that's kind of me when I was young, trying to make deals with God. God, if I don't sin like this, will you accept me then? No, it doesn't work that way. We're in slavery. We need to be freed from our enslavement. Slaves don't need the right program. They need a rescuer. At the same time, if we ignore the fact that it is self-chosen, it is willful, we begin to focus on the idea that we're victims and we stop taking responsibility for our actions. We never acknowledge that we're slaves because of our own self-choosing. This allows us to play the victim card and we want God just to be the healer of our temporary life rather than our Savior. Because of the need of willfully enslaved humanity. Humanity that when Jesus saves us, we are sinners. We are rebels. We are willingly shaking our fist in his face. He sees our need, our need that we cannot save ourselves. But not only that, we need a heart change because we're spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead and desire only to live in sin. And so what does God do? God sends us a rescuer, and God gives us a new heart. He sees our need. And in his character, he meets our need to be delivered from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. So how do we connect this to everyday life? Three things I want to point out before I'm done here. First of all, express worshipful awe and deep affection for our deliverer, for our rescuer, for our savior. When we understand where we've come from and where we now are, we should be utterly in awe of Jesus. There is no one like him. There's none. We get glimpses of things like him when a human being will rescue another human being, putting their life in danger, sometimes even giving their life for that. Maybe we even get a better picture when a human being does that for something like an animal or a dog. Because the gap between us and Jesus is infinite. And yet, Jesus was willing to lower himself to become a man. Why? So that he might die, so that he might rescue us. So worship all, deep affection for our rescuer. Not only that, we need to realize that we can say no to our old oppressors. If we've truly been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the Son, our powerful authority is Jesus. The one who binds us, the one who holds us together, the one who is able to keep us from stumbling is Jesus Christ. And so therefore we are able to say no to sin. We are able to resist our oppressors. Now, that being said, we're still human beings who in our weakness, in our frailty, don't always listen to Jesus and sometimes sin. 
I'm not arguing here that you can attain perfection. You cannot. And if you claim perfection, I'll help you point out that it's not perfection if you want. I'm sure other people here would be able to do that as well. But we can't ever use the excuse, well, I can't ever be perfect, to stop saying no to sin. The fact is, we have been transferred to a new kingdom. We don't have to say yes to sin anymore. We don't have to obey sin. We don't have to follow sin. We have, we have the power to resist sin. And, and not only sin, what, is it, what, is, uh, what are we told? Um, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're not under his power anymore. We don't have to follow him as the prince of the power of the air. That's what we did as children of wrath. That's what we did as sons of disobedience. We don't have to anymore. We're called to resist him. We're called to say no to our old oppressors. And then I would say when it comes to eternal death, there are Christians who still wrestle and struggle, worried about eternity. But you're in the kingdom of the beloved son so that you might rest in him. Not in you. He said, I'm so sinful. We all are. Now again, you still should say no. Let's not, <laughs> let's not dismiss that. I'm so sinful, but that's okay, because I'm human. No, you should, if you're in Jesus Christ, you say no to sin. But in Jesus Christ, when you sin, you shouldn't doubt your eternal security, because your eternal security rests in Jesus, in the fact that you're in his kingdom. Trust is in him. See, the problem with people in Ma- Matthew 5, what were they doing? They're saying, see all my works? See all what I did for you? Certainly I'm one of yours. But the heart of the gospel is what? We can do nothing to save ourselves. We can do nothing to deliver ourselves from the domain of darkness. If we could, we would not need Jesus. But the fact is we can't, and therefore we cast ourselves on Jesus alone. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone as our deliverer. He is the rightful king of the kingdom because he's the one who delivers us. He's the one who transfers us, and therefore we are his. So we don't claim our own works. We claim the works of Jesus, the beloved son. And because of your works, the oppressors of sin have no say over me any longer. The oppressor of Satan has no say over me any longer. The oppressor even of eternal judgment and damnation has no say over me any longer. Letter C. Therefore we express satisfaction in our new kingdom through joyful obedience. We are living. If you're a Christian, you are living in the kingdom of the beloved son right now. Now, fullness yet to come but already here. We are living in this kingdom. We are living in a kingdom that was not imaginable by us in our sin. When we were in the domain of darkness, we had no way of escape. But now we live in his kingdom. Therefore, we should express satisfaction, thankfulness to God for his deliverance and his transferring us. And in turn, that, that kind of expression, that living out our thankfulness should be seen in the joyful obedience that we give to our king. Are you living in obedience to him? Are you living in obedience in such a way that you rejoice in the opportunity to even be a part of the kingdom of God? I mean, this is where David goes. 
and he says, I would be satisfied to be a doorkeeper in the temple of the Lord. Here's, here's a man God called to be king, who's prophet, who writes a huge portion of the Old Testament in the Psalms. Here's, here's a guy who God's blessed so greatly, and he said, you know, I would even be happy if all I did was open and close the door. Because I'm a part of the kingdom of the beloved son. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. That's how we should view life, too. The opportunity to be a part should overwhelm us with joy. I hope that's true of you. As you go through your week this week, let me pray for you here in just a minute. As you go through your week this week, I hope you remember that you have the opportunity as a Christian to be part of the kingdom of God and that it would overflow you with joy as you live for him. And if you're not a Christian here today, the invitation is here. Jesus is able to deliver you, transfer you into his kingdom. The call of the gospel is to respond in repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And we ask that you respond today. And you can, you, can, you can respond in your seat, but we'd also love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you about this, this gospel and the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I'll be available. Um, I know our service leader, Greg, will be available up here in the front, too. Uh, we'd love to talk to you, but let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the opportunity this morning to see anew the glory of our Savior, that we are able to exalt Jesus, the, the King of this wonderful, glorious kingdom. And I just, I just pray this week, Lord, for each one of us here that, that are a part of the kingdom of God, Lord, that we would, we would just be overwhelmed the joy, the privilege, the opportunity to live in your kingdom and to live out your kingdom, to further your kingdom, that our, our lives would be lives that declare our allegiance to you through joyful obedience. Or may we, may we raise our fist against our old captors and the strength that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We pray, amen.